You're listening to a 3CR podcast created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. You're listening to a 3CR podcast created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. There is a place where time stands still. Where nature is harsh and demanding. Where only the quick and the strong and the deadly can survive. This place is no place for civilized man. Take it in the guts, Barry. Good morning, everybody. This is Annie for Showreel on your community radio 3CR, and uh, we are talking about lots of things to do with the Australian film industry. And today we're going to be talking to Stephanie King. She's the Impact and Education Director at Documentary Australia. G'day, Stephanie. How are you? Hi, Annie. Very well, thanks. Thanks for having me on the show. Yeah, and you've got this fabulous thing that's happening. It's an online festival called Tipping Point. Do you want to tell my listeners about what's going on there? Yeah, absolutely. Um, So we're very excited to be able to present the the Tipping Point Film Festival. So uh, basically we teamed up with TEDx Sydney. Um, So it's a collaboration between Documentary Australia um, through our Environmental Accelerator Program, which is supported by Intrepid Travel. And we worked with TED um, to curate a bunch of films that map to their 2023 theme of Tipping Point. And obviously Tipping Point has lots of different applications, but we've um, taken on the environmental connotations of Tipping Point and curated these six really incredible documentaries around the theme that people can stream for free online for 10 days. Um, and it's still available over the weekend for anyone who still wants to get in. They can they can watch the film until Monday. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I must say that I've actually spoken to some of the people who have made some of these films on this program because, of course, Showreel focuses on Australian films. Um, things, films like Delica Gado, Delegado, what a fantastic film. Delicado is such an incredible film and we've been so proud to support it through our Environmental Accelerator Program. Um, Our team provided a lot of hands-on support for the Impact Campaign, which um, for listeners who aren't familiar with Impact Campaigns, we're basically looking at how can we use the film as a tool to create social impact and uh, to support audiences to do something, to take action. So um, we're really passionate about that film and uh, it's been nominated for an Emmy Award. So it was amazing that we could include it in the program. And uh, for those who haven't, come across it, it's about environmental land defenders on the island of Palawan in uh, the Philippines and um, the really crazy lengths that they have to go to to protect their native forest from illegal logging um, yeah. and the human rights breaches that are occurring in the process. Uh, one of the things that's so remarkable about that film is that it's real grassroots, it's uh, up close and personal and uh, it also tells us as people who are from the uh, richer parts of the country, where uh, the world, where uh, they are sculpting uh, corrupt 
influences are corrupting the uh, process and creating tourist destinations, which we should be aware of. Yeah, absolutely. Because I think you know you're right. We have a we have a role as consumers. A lot of Australians, you know, do travel abroad um, to these incredible locations. And you know, I think there's a question about our supply chains that we should all be invested in. But you know, there's things happening on our own shores as well. There's things happening in the Pacific region. So there's uh, lots of different um, areas that we can all sort of investigate with our consumer choice. I think in in terms of those environmental and those human rights uh, ramifications. I love the film, the biography of uh, Carbon. It's uh, uh, it, I refer to it in my mind quite often, thinking about the uh, role of Carbon and uh, 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 human uh, exploitation that has turned the environment on its head. It's a fabulous film to explain it all. Yeah, it is, and it takes such an innovative approach. We were really happy to include Carbon in the programming because it, it's quite different from other films. Um, the way that they've sort of cast Carbon as this female character embodied by the voice of Sarah Snook, you know, and it's sort of told in the first person is such an innovative approach to, you know, essentially science communication, a topic that sometimes people can find can be dry in documentary, but they've done such a good job, I think, of bringing it to life and giving it a character. Yeah, it's pretty remarkable. Um, I, As you said, there are elements uh, of our own um, environmental progress that uh, we should be um, really made aware of. And the Kimberley region under threat is really important, isn't it? And there's a film of that, uh, you know, taking us there and to the First Nations struggle. Yeah, there is. And actually, Annie, uh, you're speaking to one of the filmmakers behind that film. <laughs> oh, fabulous. Tell us. Yeah, so, um, yeah, I had the pleasure of producing that film um, before I was working with Documentary Australia along with um, Nicholas Strothel, the director, and our incredible co-producers, Albert Wigan and Mark Jones. And um, the Kimberley is a really incredible and special place. It's of huge ecological significance and also incredible uh, cultural significance to First Nations people in the area. Um, there's so many landscapes that need protecting and there's, you know, discussion about whether it's, the whole region should actually be World Heritage listed. But at the moment, there's, you know, lots of plans to protect certain parts. So there's been some recent wins uh, on the Mudawara, the Fitzroy River. They've just named a new national park uh, with the Bunaba traditional owner group. And earlier, uh, I think it was last year, there was another national park that was um, set up uh, in in partnership with the Gunyandi traditional owners. So there's lots going on that's really positive, but it is really important that our Australian audiences are aware of what's going on on our own doorstep and, you know, in our own in our own country. And um, I guess just, you know, are aware of the sorts of the ways that business is being done with First Nations people on their own country and their traditional homeland. Yeah, but it's even broader than that, isn't it? Uh, one, it's uh, about people understanding what they don't know, uh, understanding the country we we're actually in. And also, uh, recently I was... Uh, I get these uh, things on Facebook, all, all I get on Facebook these days are things about uh, ancient uh, civilizations, which I don't really mind. And one of them was this whole sequence about uh, uh, ancient uh, hieroglyphs and um, and how they were protected. And I was thinking at the time, well, lucky they're not in Australia. <laughs> That's a good point. But, you know, there's a lot of ancient rock art that is in Australia that's not necessarily widely known about, probably for good reason. Um, and I think, you know, 
to the point about uh, ancient cultures and obviously we have a history in this country that goes back over 60,000 years of culture, but that culture is also continuous. And so I think sometimes when we come from a Western archaeological frame, we're thinking about, um, you know, hieroglyphs and um, rock art as being something in the past. But what we have that's unique in Australia that's so incredible is that that's continuing. That's a continuing culture that's still maintained to this day. And a lot of those rock art sites that might not be known about publicly um, are still maintained by the traditional custodians. And that's something that I've had the fortune of seeing in uh, in the Kimberley and sharing with traditional custodians who we worked with. And it's something that we really have to fight for that's precious and that needs to be maintained and supported, supported uh, traditional owners supported to maintain their own cultural heritage. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. Uh, so Kimberley Regenerating Australia, very important film. And uh, I didn't know The Black Cockatoo was in crisis. Uh, I'm glad to see that there's a film that's documenting this. I used to live in the bush and we used to see the yellow-tailed black cockatoos. The idea that they're endangered is just frightening to me. It is frightening and they're so, they're so precious. They're such special birds. Um, that film obviously has a Western Australian focus, but there's such a threat to our biodiversity and our incredibly unique species um, around the country. And so I think that's a really important film. Um, Jane Hammond is an incredible filmmaker and activist, and uh, we really passionately believe in supporting her and her films. She made another one called Cry of the Forest about the um, native forest logging in WA. So there's so many issues going on in Australia, and if we can just shine a light on some of those and, and, you know, encourage audiences to think um, again about their consumer choices or the ways that they can engage with environmental issues and campaign through documentary, then we're hopefully achieving our goal. Yeah, well, one of the things that's remarkable about uh, being online, of course, being an online free festival, is that uh, it opens up people's eyes to the whole of this country, doesn't it? Yeah, it really does. And we've we've tried to cover a bit of a diverse range of topics through the films. Of course, there's only six, so we can't cover everything. But yeah, we really want to make it accessible to as many people as possible. Um, these films need to be seen. And a lot of them have already had their mainstream cinema release or something else. But, you know, it's so important through, this is what we do with impact campaigns, is we try to take films to the audiences that need to see them. So not just the films that the, the audiences that stumble across the film but to take them directly to passionate and engaged individuals or even people who are concerned but not yet committed and, and might just sort of be interested to learn more and, and maybe they're earlier in their journey with engaging with environmental issues. Oh, and as you say, I mean, this is called Tipping Point. This is a very serious situation. It's not just something that you can uh, think that you can put aside. It's not something that... Uh, is uh, a passing phase, uh, the climate crisis. And I noticed that uh, we're a little bit past the time that you had your Q&A about um, uh, Tim Flannery's documentary, Climate Changes. Um, But you've also got other um, uh, Q&As and um, that particular film is going to be in cinemas on 17th of September. And if people are going to be continuing to listen to Showreel, we're going to follow up with an interview with the director of Climate Changes. But uh, tell us about what's going to happen over this weekend up to the last day of the uh, festival's uh, airing. Yeah, look, I'm so glad that you mentioned Climate Changes because that's a film that's very close to us and dear to our hearts and we're doing a lot of work with them on their impact campaign as well. 
um, really trying to, to support and drive audiences to see the film in cinemas. Um, as probably many of your listeners know, um, films, uh, their sort of distribution life cycle, I guess, is sort of made or broken through that opening weekend. So it's so important that we can get um, audience members there to see the film while it's available. And then hopefully cinemas will continue to run it and it will have a greater reach. Um, as you said, it's, it's such an important film about this critical moment for our planet, really the tipping point. Um, and and the, the theme of the film really is about leadership. What is the role of climate leadership in this broader issue of the climate crisis? What role has leadership played in getting us, you know, to where we are today, poor leadership? And what role can it play moving forward? And so I'm so glad to hear that you're speaking with the director shortly. Um, and, yeah, we'd really, really encourage people to, to go and see the film in cinemas um, from the 17th, so next weekend. Um, and... It, this is just, you know, one of the films in our pipeline through our Environmental Accelerator Program. So the Tipping Point Film Festival is one of our activities. We run a whole number of activities over a three-year program. There'll be more festivals, there'll be more Q&As, there'll be more films we're supporting in cinemas. So um, if people are interested to learn more and go with us on this journey over a suite of different environmental films, then they should hop on our website, which is Documentary Australia, uh, and, and click through to our Environmental Accelerator to learn more. And that's also the um, uh, doorway to this uh, seeing in films, isn't it? It is, it is, yeah. So if you head to the Accelerator or just the Documentary Australia website, you can navigate through to the Tipping Point Film Festival landing page. There's a registration button, so anyone who wants to watch a handful of free documentaries over the weekend, just click through to that registration. It's a very simple event registration, and then you get given a password, which basically unlocks six incredible films for your viewing. <laughs> Uh, thanks very much, Stephanie, for talking to me. Thanks so much, Annie. Gas is a toxic fossil fuel, yet gas exploration by sonic explosion is planned for the Otway Basin. Seismic blasting kills plankton and deafens whales, disrupting their migration. This blasting is opposed by coastal communities from Geelong to Apollo Bay and Warrnambool, who strive to protect the ocean ecosystems. Bring Whale Song into Nam City, Friday the 15th of September at Queen's Bridge near Flinders Street at 4.30pm and onto the State Library for 5.30pm. Rally for Whale Song Not Gas is hosted by Extinction Rebellion, a 3CR supporter. You're with Annie on Showreel and uh, we've just been speaking to Stephanie King. She's from Documentary Australia. Uh, you want to um, lean back and uh, kick off the heels, your shoes, and what a, a, a cache of fantastic documentaries on the environment this weekend, then go to Documentary Australia. They are really interesting films. Many of them I've seen, and I can vouch for them. They're very interesting indeed. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. We're going to move on to another film that's uh, going to uh, be showing over the next few days. Uh, Cinema Nova, Tuesday, September the 12th, and Village Fountain Gate, Thursday, September the 14th. It's Streets of Colour. We did feature Streets of Colour a couple of weeks ago. Uh, Ronnie Riskaskala, uh, he is a... Uh, a Australian writer, director, and uh, as uh, we find uh, from the conversation I had with Ronnie about how important it is to have films like Streets of Colour 
it's a feature and it takes us to the mean streets of uh, Western Sydney. Uh, and as I said, it's going to be uh, shown with Q&As at uh, the Cinema Nova, Tuesday, September the 12th, and at Village Fountain Gate, Thursday, September the 14th. Look look up their websites, you'll be able to see the times. Uh, there's going to be a Q&A after each of those uh, screenings. So let's uh, go back and hear from Ronnie Riscala about his film Streets of Colour. G'day Ronnie, it's Annie McLaughlin here from 3CR. We we're going to have a chat about your film Streets of Colour. Hi Annie, how are you? Okay, I've been looking up um, about Streets of Colour. It sounds like a quite an amazing uh, affair. How did you get this film off the ground? Ah, oh, it's it's always something that I guess I wanted to share as a story. Um, I grew up myself in the western suburbs of Sydney, having suffered at the hands of a lot of racism when I was a kid and into my teenage years. But it wasn't until in my early adult life, in my maybe it was my early thirties, I had an encounter with with a younger teenager who was abusing me with these really strong and um, offending racial slurs, and I just thought. I think racism still exists because I, I thought maybe that um, the the racism that I did sort of experience when I was younger maybe it was because I was a I was a child or you know adolescence you know you got raging hormones and those sort of things so maybe things felt like at the time they were a little bit more exaggerated but it wasn't until that moment I knew that there was a story to tell here that all those traumatic experiences that I had as a kid being bullied for for being different. Um, there was a story to tell there and I thought I could probably help other people sort of embrace their culture and their self-identity and, 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 and just start a conversation about this, this, the, the racial sort of experiences that I had. Well, this, I mean, this is a feature and it's set in the western suburbs of Sydney. It's really contemporary and it's uh, really happening now. So writing it must have been quite uh, a challenge because you're creating a feature, bringing your audience along with you, as well as being authentic. Yeah, it's really personal. So it's always really hard to sort of to tell your personal story because all your vulnerabilities are you know, up there on the screen because it is loosely based on uh, on my experiences, but at the same time, I use creative license to sort of build a more exciting sort of uh, film so that I could package those really important social issue themes within a film. Um, the, ch- the challenge wasn't so much writing the film. It was because it, it, it flowed really naturally and it evolved into, you know, I thought I was writing one film, but it turned into something else. Um, but it, the challenge was actually getting the film off the ground. That was probably the hardest part and you know, trying to get funding and, 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 and go through those sort of avenues. Why was that? Was that because it was about something that was contemporary and also very working class and very culturally de- uh, confronting? Or, I mean, because you've had a lot of experience making films, haven't you? Yeah, well, it's, I've been doing it for about 25 years, but I haven't really had the opportunities to sort of catapult my career to the next level and it was always about making a calling card at the same time you know even though I wanted to confront all these issues and it was almost like every filmmaker will probably tell you this that it's it's almost therapeutic or like therapy to to make a film about your life um, in in this way but um, there was a lot of roadblocks in making a film like this whether it's political or not I'm, I'm yet to sort of to know, but um, what I what I do know and what I've, I've felt and experienced is there is still systemic systemic racism in terms of not letting certain people, um, you know, 
have opportunities and I, I've tried to I've tried to get government funding for many many years and I've been rejected every single time it's a lot better these days and things are progressing but I mean I've, I ticked all the boxes that were required for uh, government funding and, and and some of those boxes are stuff like are you from a diverse background are you from Western Sydney that was very specific in in some of the um, eligibility criteria when when you do apply for for funding and I ticked all the boxes, minority groups, all, all, all the above. We had all that in our team. And yet we still couldn't get anything. And we thought, yeah, like you said, like it's a contemporary story. It's, it's, it's a glimpse into to Western Sydney, which is rarely seen on screen. Um, you don't really get to see films like this. And it's almost like a window into something that you've never experienced before. And um, yeah, I, I can't say why we, we didn't get the opportunities that we did, but we, we got it done. We, we had to pull in a lot of favours. Um, I had to put money for my own mortgage, friends uh, invested and, and some private investors and, and we got across the line. Oh, well, congratulations. Uh, the, Thank uh, you so much. Yes. And um, I know that uh, you've got some pretty uh, interesting actors because a film like this actually gives opportunities for everybody, doesn't it, uh, from the diverse groups? Yeah, definitely. I mean, um, people always ask me like, oh, yeah, you've made a really diverse film, but I didn't set out to make a film because of diversity, because it's something that's at the forefront of everyone's sort of conversations now, yeah, especially when it comes moment, to, yeah. to make it. Yeah, but that's how I grew up. This is very authentic and very truthful. I, we grew up with many nationalities. I mean, I could count about 70 different nationalities that I grew up with going to high school. So when writing the story, it wasn't about ticking boxes or trying to include all different diverse characters. It was we haven't seen this done before, so I'm going to do it because it's authentic and this is how I grew up. We grew up with a guy who was from, you know, the islands or someone that was African or Middle Eastern. It was, it was just a, a big um, melting pot of different nationalities and languages and cultures. And I wanted to see that. And I know a lot of people who grew up in Western Sydney or just in Sydney in general from a migrant background that would want to see these sort of stories. Uh, the lead, your lead... Yes. Rabel uh, Roman. Rahel Roman. Roman, yeah. He, he was in a film that I saw that was uh, out, out West. Here Out West. Here Out West, which is also yeah. a very interesting film. So obviously there's a real push towards bringing uh, real stories to the screen, just like uh, Streets of Colour. So uh, how did you get him as your lead? So I've known Rahel for about 15 years. He's, he's actually... <laughs> saying 15, he's 15 years my, my junior as well, so he's from a different generation than myself. But I met him at a film school uh, back in, say, 2006, and at the time he was a 13-year-old kid. I was, you know, an adult. Um, I could see that he was very um, intelligent in, in terms of his acting. I could see, I, I could see something that was beyond his years. Um, you could see that he, he, he lived and breathed to be an actor, and yet at, at that point he hadn't had any experience whatsoever. He hadn't, he hadn't even done anything on the screen. He was just basically at a film course that we were doing. And I, I knew that one day that I'd, I'd probably work with him because I could see something so so unique and so intelligent about him that I thought, this guy's got something t to say, you know. And, and him being from a Middle Eastern background himself and having dealt with a lot of the same social issues that we portray in Streets of Colour, um, it just made sense. So when, when I was writing the script, it took me three years to finish the screenplay. I knew I, I could keep seeing his face. And even though I had, hadn't spoken to him for a while during that period, I didn't tell him that I was writing it. I delivered the, the screenplay to him. Uh, he loved it and thought, yes, let's do this. This is great, you know. 
But I, I did open up the, the casting a little bit wide to see if there was anyone else that could, uh, you know, be captivating in that role. And unfortunately, we did get a few good actors, but there was nothing exceptional like what he brought to the film. Now, because this is your story, I'm um, not your story, but um, I'm an amalgam of things from your past. Correct. Yeah, so I always say it's loosely it's loosely based and inspired by. If it if it didn't happen to me, it happened around me. Yeah, yeah. On one level, you might say it's a gangster film in some ways, is it, or is it a very yeah, male oriented well, film? It's it, it's interesting that you use that word gangster because I mean the the younger crowd would probably see it or sort of. Um, categorize it as that but that's like what i was saying earlier i tried to make a film that was dramatic and 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 also spoke of the social issues that i grew up with which is self-identity um it's like the main character he changes his hair color he tries to be blonde he tries to put blue eyes in just to be like an australian because we wanted to assimilate we wanted to be like everyone else because mm. we kept getting vilified for the way we did look and because of our skin color and our culture and our language yeah. and all that sort of stuff so I said, I said to myself, how do I, how do I deliver a story that's not going to be slow paced? It's not going to be all about social issues and a message and all that sort of stuff and make it entertaining at the same time. So using creative license, I made it look like a gangster film, yep. right? It's, it's, it's packaged as that way, but it's also got these really powerful, emotional, uh, dramatic storylines, which covers things from, you know, culture to like racism to, to family, even friendship. Uh, and spirituality as well. So it's there's a lot of themes there that we we sort of try to to try to uh, touch on, but we've dressed it up so we could entice the younger generation to go, hey, this looks like a really cool gangster movie, as you put it. Let's go and watch it. But at the same time, they're getting all these social issue messages. Uh, baked in and it's, and it's done very subtly and it's very, done very naturally and organically too. Yeah, well, actually, it's about it's about a person's life and him grappling with, he, like you say, his self-identity and loss. Yes. And it's a redemption film, isn't it? Correct. It's, it's, it's all about redemption because I find that even though it took me seven years to make this film, I've been finding in the last, say, three to four years, a lot of films end on a sort of on a bad note and they feel very depressing. And, and as much as this film is very dramatic throughout the whole film, we had we had a cast and crew screening last, I think, last July. Yep. And people coming out and they were in tears. I mean, I knew I'd wanted to make an emotional film that affected people, but I didn't realize it was going to affect people to the level that people were telling me after the screening. Like, they said, I cried three times throughout the film. I was like a big blubbering mess. So even though it looked like a game... Yeah, so we'll leave uh, Ronnie there. Uh, Ronnie Riscala, his film Colours... Streets of Colour, it's playing in Melbourne next week, uh, Cinema Nova, Tuesday, September the 12th, and Village Fountain Gate, Thursday, Saturday the 14th. It, there's Q&A sessions. Coming up next is Published or Not. We'll go out with uh, this really crazy woman called uh, Possum. <laughs> You're on fire with the love of all mankind A spirit man You're a lover of every man you find A giving hand in a 
dirty, the addicted, and the poor. You're a foreign smile that'll spend the night in the shelter of a bolted shop door. And I wanna be just like you, so I'm wondering what would Jesus do? There was a night I was filled with scorn for all around A flippant crowd looked the pop at their hearts listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.